Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Romans chapter 12. That's where we are today, Romans chapter 12. Today, as we continue in this brief series that's taking us, uh, just allowing us to dig into this one chapter, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be talking about how we are to function together as the church of Jesus Christ. Paul calls us the body of Christ. How, we, how do we function together? And here's the key concept for this morning. Applaud the passion of others and pursue your own. Pursue your own. As you're finding Romans chapter 12, the smallest bones in your body are the bones in your ear. I think I have a sketch I want to show you this, a drawing of those bones in your ear. The eardrum, they have fancy names, but we'll go by the regular names, the eardrum, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. Those ears function together. They are, from the outside of the body, totally invisible. They are tiny, very small bones. They function in obscurity. You never really think about them. But if they weren't functioning correctly, only about one one-hundredth of one percent of the sound energy that hits your eardrum would be translated into your inner ear. Without them functioning, you really wouldn't hear all that well. But the way that they are formed and arranged, even though they're tiny, when functioning well, they're vital to us. Even the small parts of the human body are not insignificant. And Paul is going to show us in the middle section of Romans chapter 12 that that's also true in the body of Christ, the church. We have no insignificant parts We are all vital in the ministry that God calls us to. Whether large or small, whether our role is visible or invisible, we all have a part to play, and it's vital that we do so. We are called the body for a reason. It's because we are to work together. But working together rightly as the body of Christ calls us to right thinking. So that's the first thing that Paul talks about in this middle section, about how to think rightly about who we are as individuals and how we relate together. So let's pick up the reading. We'll start where we left off last week, starting in verse 3. It says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, 
and each member belongs to all the others. Paul's saying we're connected, but in order to understand how we are to function as connected, we have to think rightly about ourselves. And the first thing about right thinking he shows us is that right thinking is humble thinking. Don't think that you're more highly of yourself than you ought to think. The world's way of thinking is a very self-centered approach when you boil it down. It puts the self in the middle of the universe, and I evaluate everything around me by how those things around me make me feel. Those things that make me happy, I, see, I label them as good. Those things that make me sad or afraid, I label them as bad. But I am the arbiter of truth. That's the world's view of self. It's a very self-centered view, but not so with the followers of Jesus Christ. We are first called to humble thinking, having not a self-centered view, but a God-centered view of the universe. He is sovereign. I am the servant. And in order to say that, puts me in a humble place. Right thinking is humble thinking. Secondly, right thinking is grace-aware. Right thinking understands that at every turn, everywhere I go, everything I do is a gift by God's grace. Look at how Paul starts out. Verse 3, he says, By grace, by the grace given me, I say to you. In other words, Paul says, My ability to function in my role, call to, to do what I'm called to do, which is to write this letter and to encourage you in the Lord, my ability to do that is a gift of grace. It's striking because he doesn't say, it is, This is because of my study that I'm able to do this even though he studied. He doesn't say, this is because of my position that I'm able to do this, even though he was an apostle. He doesn't say, it's because of my education, even though he was well-educated. Or, I have earned this right to be heard because of what I've suffered for the Lord, even though he has suffered much for the Lord. What comes to his mind when he explains the motivation that, that causes him to write the Roman church and, by extension, us, is this is grace. This is grace given me. All of this is part of God's grace. What we do within the body of Christ, the way we serve, is an expression of the gracious hand of God on us, upon our lives, and by extension, those that we influence. Have you seen the faces of the choir when they sing? Do you see the joy that they experience as they are serving the Lord, but also graciously blessing us. It's all of grace. And it tells me that on the flip side, a failure to be willing to do what God calls us to do is like putting your hand out like this and saying, no, thank you, God, I don't want any more grace. I'm going to reject that grace. But God wants it for you. When you come to know Jesus, it's saving grace. And as we grow in Christ, He calls us to serving grace. That's not how we think of it, however. I'm afraid sometimes we get it wrong. The typical Christian says, well, I'm saved by grace, but I serve by works. Because it sounds like labor, serving the Lord. It sounds like work. And there is a sense to which I have to apply myself, but my ability to do so is grace. And when I do so, I experience that, and I'm a channel for it. Understanding that changes everything about how we serve the Lord. 
God continues to be gracious to us as He allows us to fill the role that He has for us. And in that role, as you say yes to it, it's a gift of grace. And then you are a gift of grace to the body. That kind of boils down to what we have on our t-shirts when we go on our Go projects. People who go, grow. Take out the word go, put in the word serve. People who serve, grow. God is graciously growing us as we say yes. That's why serving the Lord is not drudgery. There's a hymn written by Oswald Smith. It's not in our hymn book, but, but the first line of the hymn says this, There is joy in serving Jesus as I journey on my way. And I want you to know from my own testimony that that is absolutely true. When I say yes to doing what God has gifted and called me to do, there is a joy embedded in that like no other. Paul was designed to do this work. He was designed to plant churches. He was designed to encourage Christians. He was designed to write these letters that had the concepts of the faith embedded in them that not only they would be blessed, but we would be blessed through the Holy Spirit as we read the the, the letters that exist in the Word of God. And every time he said yes to that thing that he was designed to do, he experienced the gracious touch of God. Right thinking is humble thinking. Right thinking is grace-aware. Thirdly, right thinking is faith-saturated. Read on in verse 3. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. This whole section of this chapter is going to talk about serving the Lord. And what Paul is saying here is that God gives you faith in order to fulfill your role. He measures out enough faith that that enables you to say not only yes to the area of service, but you can accomplish it. You can do it because God gives you the faith, the faith it takes to live out our place of service in the body. You will have all that you need. It does take faith to serve the Lord. It does take faith to turn away from the selfish priorities of the world around us and say, I'm going to live my life in a different direction. But God says, you will have the faith to do it because I will give it to you, measured out just for you. And the reason that Paul is stressing this is because we have a tendency, when we talk about serving the Lord, to look sideways and not look ahead. We have a tendency to compare sideways, to compare with others. Sometimes we look at people and we say, well, these are people of great faith. I will never be able to measure up, so I might well not even try. Or sometimes we look at others and we say, a little different story, we'll say like, my story, my, my calling takes a lot more faith than this guy's. He's getting off light. He's getting off easy. It's not fair. And in that comparison, we stop. We stop pursuing our own call, pursuing our own role. We neglect what we are meant to do, and in so doing, we miss the grace. Paul is saying, stop comparing yourself to others. There is a role for you to play, and it's as a gift of grace. It will take faith to do it, but God will give you enough faith just for you. So Paul is beginning to bring into focus here the mind transformation that we talked about last week. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, we talked about that last week. And what he's saying here, now he's pushing it a little further, is what this will take us down the journey, the pathway of right thinking, which will be humble thinking, grace-filled thinking, faith-saturated thinking. 
And when we're thinking that way, this view of ourselves, we will see that we have a job to do as a part of the body of Christ, but our role is not burdensome. When we are doing that, we will find that this is exactly what I'm meant to do, even if it takes faith to pursue it. And God gives us that faith. And all of this is right thinking about ourselves, about us individually. But for Paul, that's not enough. He doesn't want to just explain to us the way we are to envision ourselves as a Christian working for the Lord. Now he wants to open up the picture of the way we're to envision the entire movement, the church itself. And with, with that, he uses the imagery of the human body. So let's read on. Uh, starting, I'll go back to verse 4 and then continue on. It says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Right thinking extends not to how, just how I understand myself, but it extends to how I understand the way that all of us as the body of Christ work together. And it begins with understanding that we are different by design, each one of us, unique by design. We are to work together, not as contestants struggling against one another, but as teammates working towards a unified goal. Paul says, you're the body, the body of Christ, different functions. Now, I stress that because God did not have to make it that way. God did not have to organize the church that way. He could have created it such that when you say yes to Jesus Christ, the way we know you say yes to Jesus Christ is because you're just like everybody else. In other words, He could have made this image, this stamp of what it looks like to be a Christian. And when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you're converted to faith in Him, all of a sudden you're conformed to that, that shape, you know, kind of like a mold, and, and the church of Jesus Christ turns out to be an army of clones, all looking the same, all wearing the same clothes, all having the same hairdo, all carrying the same size Bible, everybody kind of operating the same way. He could have given us the same passions, the same talents, the same gifts, so we do the same thing the same way, and then we would look and say, yep, there's another Christian. Why? Because he's just like me, because we're all the same. God could have done it that way. He didn't do it that way. And He didn't do it that way because He recognizes that the way He forms the church as a body of believers with diversity, with differences, with unique abilities and talents and gifts, with a, with a different kind of look, different backgrounds, the way He formed the true church is better able to reach the needs of the world, better able to work for righteousness in the world, better able to advocate for justice in the world through our diversity, 
and, and through the abilities that He gives us that are not the same. He knows that. He's done that. And that means that I'm called to trust that. And trusting that, that this is the best way for it to work, then the best thing for me to do is to understand the way that I fit into that and get busy to be a part of what God is doing. And that's the calling for all of us. I need to know my part. I need to know who I am, where I am in the body of Christ. Right thinking says that when we understand the the gifts and the calling that God has given us, we experience, as we say yes to that, a fuller measure of grace for ourselves, then also the grace will flow from us to others. So here's the thing. You, are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are wonderfully capable at something, probably many things, because of the Holy Spirit's work within you. God always works in total completion. He doesn't leave voids. He doesn't leave vacancies. He doesn't give you great faith and no ability to do anything that demands it. He doesn't give you great gifts and no faith to use it. He doesn't place you in a body within there's nothing for you to do in which you have no role, just like those little bones in the ear. It might be small, but it's vital. And God calls us all part of achieving what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, that being a living sacrifice, that nonconformity to the image of the world is this right here saying, I am willing to send my life in a new direction. Jesus is just not a tack-on to the life I always had. He's just not something I add to the components of my already existing life. No, I am a living sacrifice. I am not conforming to the world around me. My life is going in a different direction, and the direction is I recognize I am part of what God is doing in the world through His body. I'm a believer. That's what Paul is kind of wrapping this all around. Do you want to have salvation but no role in service that comes with it? It doesn't work that way. Do you want to experience joy in the Lord but only on your own terms and your own time when you feel like it? It doesn't work that way. The call to discover your spiritual gifts and your role in the body is an invitation to step more fully into grace and to be part of what God is doing. Paul starts this section by giving us a warning. Don't think of yourself too highly. Have a realistic view. Don't think that this doesn't apply to you. Don't think, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing Paul's thinking here, but he's saying, don't think if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that none of this is you, that you're above this or you're beyond this or you're not like everybody else. No, you are. We are like everybody else. Even in our diversity, the fact that brings us together is it's all about what Jesus wants us to do just like everybody else. The human body is the key image that he uses. So the key question then becomes for all of us, well, how do I know what part of the body I am? How do I know whether I'm supposed to be an ear or a hand or, in my case, a mouth? How do I know? Well, the key is to understand how God has designed you. Part of that design, just part of it, is what Paul's talking about here your spiritual gifts. But there's a greater design, your personality, your experiences, your history, kind of the things that God has put you through, the passion areas in which you care about. 
All that is the, is the greater design. We talk about that a lot here at Quail because I, I'm completely convinced that a Christian who doesn't ask those questions is not heading down that right direction. Just recently, we ended our most recent divine design workshop. Twenty-two people graduated from that workshop, that seminar, and with a fuller understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ. That excites me because that's going to open all kinds of doors for ministry and joy in those people's lives. Paul says, you need to know the gifts. And in verse 6, notice what he calls them. He calls them gifts of grace. Gifts of grace. Not gifts for labor, not gifts for service, gifts of work, but gifts of grace. Because the most gracious thing that God can do for you after He saves you is to give you the ability to work for His glory. And the position of working for His glory is that's the moment when you are saying yes to how He's designed you. It is the most joyful way to live. That thing in you that says, I'm meant to do this. I'm designed to do this. And right there, God is giving you the joyful Christian life. So we need to understand the spiritual gifts. It's part of the design. And Paul gives us a list here. He doesn't give us an entire list. This is not all the spiritual gifts. This is a sampling. But he says, as you understand, this is meant to warm your kind of interest. As you understand the gift that God's given you, you can fulfill the role and do what God wants you to do. The gifts are, he says, starting in verse 6, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Cheerfully. Congratulations, you're gifted. That's what Paul is saying. Some of these, some, uh, this is some of the gifts that he has. As you look down the list, we need to understand what he's talking about. Verse 6, he says, some of you have the gift of prophecy. Now, that is a misunderstood gift, okay? Primarily in Scripture, prophecy is not telling the future. What it literally is is just telling what God wants told. The word that we translate prophet in Hebrew into English, the Hebrew word means mouthpiece. It's as simple as that. A prophet is a spokesman for the truth of God. That's what it literally means. Now, sometimes what God wanted said is a warning about something that's coming in the future. We see that in the prophets in the Old Testament. But most often, the role of the prophet was simply to call sin, sin, and call good, good, and explain that to people, the essence of just being a spokesman for the Almighty, the gift of prophecy. Some of you have the gift of prophecy. The next gift is serving. Serving, or helps, we call it sometimes, is the behind-the-scenes ability that allows everything else to happen. The gift of serving solves the little issues, the things that come up, without which, man, things would go off the rails, or it wouldn't be as good as it needs to be. The gift of serving or helps is, is not the gift that's up front, it's behind the scenes, it's not maybe a big deal, but it's the little deal that really matters. And some of you have the gift of serving, or the gift of teaching. The ability to clearly understand and then explain the truth of the Word of God so that others can understand. We are to be a people of the, of the Word, people of the book, which means we need to have people who can explain the book and teach the truth. And some of you have the gift of teaching or exhortation or encouragement. 
as the NIV uh, says it. Some of your Bibles has the word exhortation there in verse 8. The Greek word there is a form of the word paraclete, which is the title we give the Holy Spirit when we call Him the Comforter. That's what it means. It means a comfort. The gift of exhortation is not yelling at people. It's not the gift of yelling at people. Maybe you do that on your, on your own, all right? But God is not giving you the gift of yelling at people. Exhortation or encouragement means uh, I care, I sense a need, and I want to bring you out of it. If you find your sentences starting with, hey, are you all right? Or can I help you? Is there something wrong? Your, your part of this gift is sensing where there is trouble and being willing to enter into that and to care for that person. The gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Then there's the gift of giving. Giving in a unique way. A person with the gift of giving has the means and finds joy in giving. A person with the gift of giving is not about recognition. If you have the gift of giving, it's not about getting your name on a plaque or on a building. It's about allowing the thing to happen, funding this work so that it can happen well, even behind the scenes. And some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift, verse 8, of leadership, the ability to cast a vision, to motivate and to organize a group of people, to move in the same direction, to accomplish a goal, and to do so joyfully and cheerfully. And some of you have the gift of leadership or the gift of mercy, the sense of being drawn toward pain to show compassion and help. Those who move into comfort rather than run away from need. The gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of mercy. The point is, this is not the whole list. This is not all the gifts that there are. This is a sample, but it's meant to get your juices flowing, to ask the question, what is the, what is the gift that you have? And how are you to use it? Now, I want you to notice something about these gifts. All of them are things that all of us should be doing. But some of them, we, uh, you, uniquely you excel in, okay? We all should be doing this. When you go out today and you walk to your car in the parking lot, if the guy in front of you trips and falls and is laying on the, on the, on the asphalt there, don't step over him and say, sorry, pal, I don't have the gift of mercy, <laughs> right? You all should be merciful, when the plate goes by, just don't say, thank you very much, I don't have to give. I don't have the gift of giving. We all should be generous. You know, we can't develop a loophole mentality here to say, well, I don't have to do anything else other than what I'm gifted to do. No, do it all. But for some of these things, you are uniquely able. You are wonderfully able to excel in a few of them. And verse 3, in the beginning of this, this section, is the guiding principle for all of this. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Understand yourself. This is how God has created you. And so say yes to that. And once again, it calls for faith. Faith to step away from the ordinary, to step away from the everyday, to step away from the selfish and say, well, if this is true and God is saying this is a step of grace, then I'm willing to do it. And so here's where we run into problems. And the question is, and now that I maybe can envision my role, how do I know what my exact spiritual gift is if I'm, what I'm called to, to accomplish? That's why we have the Divine Design Seminar here, but in between seminars, I mean, how do I find my, my role? How do I discover my gift? Here's where I'm going to give you the wisdom of the ages. That which is passed down from generation to generation, from teacher to student over the years of time. 
Here's the wisdom. To find your gift, try stuff. That's it. Say yes. Volunteer. Give something a shot. Here's the thing. If you stink at it, you hate it, or people flee to the exits, that's not your gift. All right? Move on. And the reason I say it that way is this. It takes humility to do that. That's Paul's point here. Try. Don't think of yourself better than you ought. Don't think you're above this. Give stuff a try. Volunteer. You know, it's not, it's not a total leap, right, because you have an understanding of maybe what you like and what you don't like, but it's still a leap. So say yes to stuff like the road to the resurrection. Say yes to showing up on Go projects if you haven't regularly shown up and being a part of what we're doing there. Say yes to teaching a Bible class. We need teachers and helpers. Say yes to volunteering in the cafe, to singing in the choir, whatever it is. Say yes And you'll find a role of service that corresponds to who you are, and you will find fulfillment in your walk. And when I say try stuff, I mean it because I think what happens is this. We tend to define ourselves too narrowly. We tend to make the box of who we are too small. I have countless times heard conversations like this. I never could picture myself doing this, whatever this is, but now I can't picture my life without it. I've heard it from businessmen who play games with the kids or lead the upwards basketball. I've heard it from visitation team members or ladies who love rocking babies, from tutors who teach kids and Sunday school teachers or Life Together group leaders. I've heard it from special buddies, from those people who are extending themselves in ways they couldn't imagine. But now it's part of them because they were defining themselves too small before that. Picture the opportunities as a banquet table. It's a long banquet table with all kinds of delicacies up there. Some of those things you know how they taste, you're familiar. Some of those things you don't know, it's an adventure. I'm saying take a bite and reject the idea that God wants you to serve Him in misery, that what He calls you to will be awful. Forget that. Serving God is not penance for your rottenness. Serving God is joy and grace, and it's the next step He has for us. Focus on that, and it will be true. Let me close with this brief illustration. Two guys are walking down a New York City street. The traffic is noisy. The horns are blaring. I mean, it's, you know, typical city noises. And the one guy stops, and he says, did you hear that cricket? First guy says, what? Cricket? How could you hear a cricket and all this noise? But sure enough, he looks down the sidewalk, there's a cricket. And the man says, your ears must be fantastic that you could hear a cricket in the midst of all this noise. And he said, no, my ears are just like yours. Your hearing is as good as mine, but it it just depends on what you're tuned into. Let me show you what I mean. And he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a handful of change, uh, you know, pennies, dimes, quarters, and he dropped those coins on the sidewalk. Now, it wasn't very loud, but the sound of money hitting the sidewalk and every head turned all around the block. Why? Because that's what they were tuned into. Tune into what God has called you to do. It is grace for you, and it is grace for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You want us to be a part of what You're doing. And when we're part of what You're doing, it is joyful. So, Lord, we pray that we would say yes, that we would see the opportunity. Help us to try. Enable us, Lord, to trust You, to take the risk of faith to take a different direction than everybody else around us, but know that there in this, the destination is to be with you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. 
and we seek to demonstrate your love for us in the way that we live. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The team is back for a closing song. We're gonna, are we going to sit and listen to this song? Uh, yeah. We'll yeah, we'll sit and listen. We'll t- sit and listen, okay? <laughs> Those of you who are walking out, you should be sitting and listening. Okay. <laughs> We've done this song before. Feel free to, to, to join in, but it's uh, what, what mercy did for me. You've... Uh, We've all experienced, I'm hoping, we've all experienced the mercy of God, and it's, it's never, uh, never ending. Um, and it's, this is just a song that is uh, just in response to how grateful we are what, what God did because of his mercy. So.
just a moment we're going to leave this room maybe you're here and there's an issue for prayer in your life I invite you to come forward to be with the prayer team by the organ and the prayer table they will wait for you to pray for you don't carry your burden out you can lay it down but first let's all pray together thank you Lord that you are merciful to us we rejoice in the amount of grace and mercy we have experienced in our relationship with you we want to spread that word so in the week ahead Lord help us to represent you well May the actions that we take and the words that we say demonstrate that we have been filled with the love of Jesus. Help us in that way, we pray, and help us to give you glory. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.